0: You're listening to audio from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. If you'd like to learn more about Parkview, find more resources, or give to our ministry, please visit parkviewchurch.org. This week we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, looking at one of Jesus' parables, so you can start turning there in your Bibles. But I also want to tell you about something we're really excited about that's coming up next week. Uh, So, leading up to Easter, we want to be really just intentional about inviting others in to hear the good news about Jesus. And uh, we're focusing in on the last part of our mission statement. You probably know by now, maybe you're tired of hearing it, but we're excited to say it all the time. Uh, We're here to be a whole church forming whole disciples of Jesus for the good of all people. We're honing in on that last part for the good of all people. Many of you in this room uh, have experienced what it means that Jesus is good for all people, good for us, good for anxious people, heartbroken people, uh, wandering people. Uh, No matter our current situation, our background, no person is outside of that same uh, power and grace. And so we want to celebrate that and remind ourselves and one another of that. And so starting next week and through Easter Sunday, we're going to take a break from the Gospel of Luke and just take a look at that the ways that Jesus proves uh, through his life, through his teaching through his death on our behalf, through his resurrection, that he is good news for all people. Um, And this is a great entry point for for our friends and neighbors and coworkers who don't yet believe in Jesus. Uh, So we'd encourage you, invite them in. We'll give you some more information as we go along. Uh, But like I said, today we're in Luke chapter eight. So you can meet us there, meet me there. Uh, This is where Jesus teaches the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils. You may have called it something like that. And it's a challenge. It's a challenging parable. It's a parable of challenge. It's, uh, it's a moment where Jesus in his ministry looked out at people, looked at his own disciples, looks at us, and he wants us to consider, what kind of person are you becoming? Uh, we are all, we're dynamic, we're changing all the time, but what kind of person are you becoming? What kind of trajectory are you on? And he wants to challenge us with a simple reality. How you hear, how you hear determines who you become. How you hear will be the main determinant. How you hear, particularly the word of God, how you hear will be ter- determine who you become. And as Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we turn to your word together, Just as we sang, just as I said, give us ears to hear, give us ears that hear, Um, give us hearts that receive what you have to say to each of us today, Lord, where else can we go? There's no one else that has the words of life, only in this book, only through your words, only through your Son. There are so many things, Lord, competing for our attention this morning, competing for our affection this morning. Uh, we're only aware of half of them, maybe, and so we pray that you would, by your power, clear away everything so that our hearts have only eyes for you and our ears are tuned in to you. And now, Lord, let the meditations of my mouth, uh, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh, Lord God, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. 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 Well, let's get right into it. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says this Soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. I'm going to pause there Uh, because last week, Pastor Mark uh, did a fantastic job teaching us from the passage that came right before this, uh, the story of a dramatic scene, a dinner scene in the house of a Pharisee, a religious leader of that day, uh, where a woman with a bad reputation came in and washed Jesus' feet, anointed him, uh, and got some significant pushback, at least in the mind of this Pharisee, uh, but she was doing this out of a great heart of love for Jesus, Um, and so in that moment, Jesus schooled this uh, this self-righteous Pharisee with the story of two debtors that had been forgiven, and the principle that came out loud and clear was this, he who has been forgiven much loves much, Um, but he who has been forgiven little loves little, and she had been forgiven much, uh, and therefore she loved much, but this Pharisee did not. And this was just one of the women who traveled with Jesus and provided even further proof uh, to that statement. Mary had been given her freedom back um, and she loved Jesus accordingly. Susanna, we, d- we don't know exactly what their stories are all about. Joanna, she's apparently a member of the elite in, in that society. Um, but we know from the Bible that these women stayed faithful to Jesus. Uh, they, they provided for him out of their own means. Um, and even when the 12 disciples abandoned Jesus at the end of his life, we know actually from the Gospel of Mark in particular that these women stayed faithful. They were there at the cross with him. They were there with him through the end. They were the ones who went to, to approach him at his tomb and, and, and so forth. In fact, uh, the history of the church in general and the history of Parkview in particular uh, demonstrates that women often set an example for us uh, that we need to be responsive to and imitate. Um, In fact, you might say that in in his travels, these women became like Jesus' mother, nourishing him, taking care of him, providing for him. And his disciples became like his brothers. More on that in a few minutes. Uh, But let's move on to verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that was the parable. End of teaching. Jesus sits down. Got it? Uh, maybe you're left kind of scratching your head. What does that mean? We thought we were coming for sort of spiritual insight. Jesus has this great reputation, man of power, man of wisdom, and he just told us how to sow a garden. What? That's not what they were expecting. Uh, and so naturally, Jesus' disciples, then we have kind of scene number two which is we're not in the big crowd anymore. We're, we're with Jesus' close followers and those who from the crowd said, I, I don't know what that means. I need a further explanation. And so they came near to him and naturally he, he gave them an explanation. He says this in verse nine. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Uh, I just want to pause there and point out what Jesus just said is even though there are four kinds of soil, there are only two kinds of people. Let's continue on. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that. In the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the Lord's word. This, uh, we're going to get into what each soil means, but a few things we have to point out first of all. Uh, First of all, Jesus is talking about not only his parable, but what he's doing with them at that moment. Jesus' words are the seed that went out into the field of his listeners, and their response is determined, he says, by the condition of their hearts. Some of which are stubborn and hard, like well-beaten paths. You've walked on them before. Uh, Some are shallow, like rocky soil. Some of them, some of their hearts have divided allegiances, uh, like thorny weeds that are competing for their soil's resources and attention. And Jesus presses the point home by raising the stakes of this question about what kind of people they are becoming and how they respond to his word. He says this in verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In the Bible, light and lamps, I've got an example for you here, they're stock imagery for the word of God, which shows us what the world really looks like. Uh, It's revelation. It it gives us insight into what's really going on because we can see the way God made the world and, and what true reality looks like. And what Jesus is saying here is that one day, The light of God's word, the light of revelation, won't be spread like seeds on the ground with little opportunities to see what the world really looks like that we can either capitalize on or not capitalize on. One day, it will be more like a light switch where God will turn on the lights of the dark world and every single thing will become as clear as day. Uh, No more secrets, nothing hidden in the dark. Everything will be made clear. Everything will be made obvious. And whatever kind of soil we have been and have become It will no longer be a mystery. Jesus' exhortation is to live with that end in mind. And so he says in verse 18, and this is, take away this as the main thing, this is what it's all about. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear Parkview. Take care how you hear the words of God. The spiritual dynamic that Jesus was describing then as he stood and talked to a crowd of people perhaps about this size was not just true for them then, it's true for you right now. The idea that that we have this idea in our minds that anyone can sort of define their purpose for themselves, Jesus is not leaving margin for that possibility. He's saying, you, like soil was made to grow things, you in your human soil were made to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And your life will only find a happy ending when it does that. And if you found a button in your car today that you didn't know what it did, what it did, You'd open the owner's manual and find out what does the creator say, the people who designed this. What do they say it was for? And by the same token, uh, if you want to know your purpose and whether you're fulfilling it and whether your life will find a happy ending, you should go to your creator. He's given you these words to tell you. He's not keeping any secrets from you. And we know what the fruit of a plant is, but what is the fruit of a human soul, according to Jesus? It's the fruit of His own spirit. Love for God, love for God's people, especially uh, for our fellow image bearers. That's what we are, made in God's image. We can also look at places like Galatians 5 um, where the fruit of God's Spirit is described. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A soul that increasingly looks like and acts like Jesus. And every time you encounter the word of God, whether it's early in the morning with a cup of coffee in your office or as you drive in your car and you're listening or let's say on a Sunday morning as you hear the word preached, hopefully, faithfully, we've done as best we can here, your soul is moving imperceptibly but inevitably toward one of these two realities. Either toward fruitfulness and abounding joy and life forever as you live along the grain of your created reality, or slowly but inevitably and sadly toward fallow, fruitless desolation. There is a T, a fork in the road for all of us this morning and every time we encounter God's word. That's what Jesus says. And so, like I said, there's four different soils, but there's really only two. There is profitable soil, there's fruitful soil, soil where seed is able to produce the crop it was made for, and unfruitful soil that doesn't produce it or produces fruit that doesn't actually come to its intended end. You saw that already. Uh, And so what Jesus is really saying is there are three ways to be unfruitful and only one way uh, to be fruitful. So let's take care how we hear the word of God. This is a prophetic wake-up call from Jesus. Let's listen. Here, so let's look. Okay, I think we've, we've understood the gravity of the moment and the way Jesus has set this up. Let's talk about these soils and learn from them. Okay, uh, it's only right. Let's look at verse 11 where we learn about soil type one. Okay, it says this, verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, we've got to talk about gardening. I hope that's OK. We have to talk about gardening for a second. Some of you are really excited about that. Some of you are not. Uh, that's OK. If you're like me, when you think of Israel, uh, you think of a barren desert wasteland that just is full of sand and the occasional palm tree, something like that. Uh, In reality, the area that Jesus was describing uh, was warm, almost, you know, probably tropical, you'd call it, but not not barren, not deserted. Um, And it's often been compared to something like Southern California. So if you've been out there... Um, there are places where it's really arid and deserted and things don't grow very well. But there's also these lush, fertile valleys where lots of things grow. And so it's more like this, it's something like, see, that looks like that. Um, there is good soil there. And the farming practices of the ancient world are actually fairly well known. There's lots of manuals and things we found from centuries and decades, and, or not decades, millennia ago that tell us about how they would do this. They were good at it. That's how they survived. So many of them were subsistence farmers. They were careful and they needed to get a crop otherwise they would die. So they learned quick. Um, uh, One of the things uh, that we learn is that seed was not cheap. It was not easy to collect and so sowing was done fairly carefully. Uh, Crops were sown in rows by hand to produce and maximize the yield. Um, And in between each row there would be a path you probably have something like this in your garden. Um, a place where you would walk. And as you sow your seed, inevitably, some of it would end up in the place that was the path. Now, as you're sowing the seed, you're not exactly sure where the path is, you know, where you're going to end up stepping as you're walking around in your garden. But inevitably, some small percentage of the seed would end up in this soil that you're going to step on. And it's hard for seeds to grow when you're stepping on them all the time. Um, and obviously, any seed that fell on that area would bounce right off and it would become food for hungry birds. And this hardened soil, this soil on the path, uh, is Jesus' chosen image for the hard heart, the hard-hearted. Now, for, for some, this, this illustrates their determined attitude toward God's word. I'm not listening. I may have heard it, but I'm not going to respond. It's not for me. But for all of us, this also describes moments where we harden our hearts toward what God says to us. We don't really listen. The word of God doesn't really sink in at all, it just sort of bounces right off. And Jesus' warning to us is that this situation is not just a coincidence, it's not just sort of a natural phenomenon, it's the indication of spiritual war in your midst. It's happening as I speak. Every time the word of God is read or spoken or studied or taught or discussed, in that exact moment, there is a, an invisible spiritual battle going on for the allegiance of our hearts and our ears. Right now, in this moment, there is spiritual pressure on you from without to keep you from hearing the words that I'm even speaking right now. Uh, to excuse it, to misdirect it, to think about someone else who needs to hear it. Uh, to distract you by thinking about other things that maybe need your attention. To discount it, well, it's not really that serious. To ignore it, well, I'm kind of busy. Our enemy will do whatever it takes. This is, this is stopping us at the gate before it even sinks in. If we can clear it away then, that's, that's the mindset. Uh, it can keep the word of God from sinking in, becoming processed and, and becoming productive. You're in a battle. You're being resisted right now. Push back. Fight! Get get on your feet spiritually speaking. Do everything you can to receive these words in this moment. And in every moment when the Word of God comes in contact with you, don't let it bounce off. The solution to hardened soil is to soften it. It, it, It's to soften it. That would be done maybe by plowing, um, by breaking up the, the, the hard soil whatever it needs you need to do to soften your heart in these moments to open your ears to listen resolve yourself to avoid the fate of soil 1 as Jesus describes it resolve yourself that when the word of god, when you come in contact with the word of god you will be soft to it you will receive it you will hear it you will decide to hear it and listen deeply take care how you hear the word of god let's look at soil number 2 in verse 13, it says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Hmm. Now, when I read on the rock, I don't, for some reason in my mind, I always think of rocky soil, and I imagine a patch of gravel in the middle of a garden, which I've not seen many gardens like that. Um, I don't know why that comes into my mind, but if you're not, it's because I'm not familiar with the the landscape of this part of the world. Uh, In reality, the land around Galilee was filled with shallow layers of limestone. Uh, If you've gone out to the reservoir around there, you've seen something like this. Um, It's common to find areas where there would be just a few inches of soil on the surface. Um, So it looked like good soil, right? A good place to plant some seeds, Um, but a few inches down, it was totally impenetrable rock Uh, Water isn't going to be there. It's going to drain away. It's not going to be able to grow deep. You notice that how Jesus says some seed fell on the rock. Singular. There's rock, the rocky layer he's talking about, not the rocks, not a bunch of gravel. Um, And that's what Jesus had in mind. This is soil that uh, by all outward appearances, it looks totally fertile. It looks like it's a great place to plant seeds. But in reality, it's shallow and therefore sterile. As Jesus says, when a seed is sown, it it germinates and it grows, and he even says there's great joy, right? But when the sun shines down, its heat saps the plant's strength. It has no moisture. It has no way to regulate its temperature. In the end, it basically gets cooked by the heat of the sun because rather than giving it energy, the sun evaporates its moisture. It proves unfruitful over time. And these this is Jesus image for the shallow disciple who falls away when the going gets tough. The difficulties of the Christian life prove whether the soil lacks the depth to sustain growth. Have you experienced this yet in the Christian life? biologically, we know the same sun that can scorch a plant is also the same sun that, it can't live without it, right? The sun is the thing that gives it, it nourishment for growth and life. And suffering can play a similar role in your life today. In fact, it has to. It can only do one of those two things. Suffering in the Christian life will either prove your depth in Christ or prove shallowness. Do the trials of your life today drive you back to God's word or away from it? Learn this lesson now. Could I just urge you? Learn this lesson now, because for some of us, there are terrible things that are going to happen in our lives. Learn this lesson now, while while it is much easier to learn, so to speak. Uh, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. Is God's word melting your heart this morning? Because if it's not melting it, it's hardening it. So the solution is to go down deep. Is to get deeply rooted. In Christ, If you feel today that you have learned enough of Jesus and you feel pretty good about where you're at and you feel kind of fine and okay, you are near to the danger of the soil and the rock. There are depths to God's word. There are depths to who Jesus is. Uh, There are depths to what God wants to do within you that you have not yet fathomed. Christ is deeper still. You will not get to the end of him. You will not scrape the bottom of who he is. None of us has done it today. None of us is overestimating Jesus right now. There is more. Read a Christian book. Ask a wise Christian friend to give, give you counsel, to give you advice. Go deeper with a friend. Go deeper in Christ. Go deeper still. You can go deep with him and avoid the fate of soil number two. Now, last of the unfruitful soils, let's consider soil number three. In verse 14, it says this. As for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear... But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Notice they have fruit, but it's outcompeted, and it proves unfruitful. Their fruit doesn't ripen. Their fruit doesn't come to maturity. And, and let me just say, I think if I were to say you're preaching a message to a church audience on a Sunday morning, here you go. This is the greatest risk for probably most of us in the room. There's clear evidence of God's grace in your life. There's clear fruit. It's fruit on the vine, hasn't yet been plucked. Will it come to maturity? Will that tomato turn red in your life? Will it turn, will it become savory and delicious? Notice, notice then back, if you look back at verse seven, you find something interesting too. It says, some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Again, this is like all the soils. We tend to read this passage, I think, and imagine, well, here's the careless farmer who's just kind of scattering seed everywhere. Who cares? Some on the rocks, some on the thorns, whatever. But it says this, the, the thorns grew up with it. It's, it looks like what my garden looks like right now. There's just kind of nothing there. But I know in reality that the, the wind has brought seeds of a weed that are, if I'm not careful, they're going to grow up and I'm going to have to pluck them out, right? Uh, so also, all these soils look the same at the beginning, It's only when the light is turned on, that's what Jesus is saying, the light is going to be flipped on. Will we prove to have been thorny and and to have not tended well? Have we not uprooted the things in our lives that need to be uprooted? Are we choosing to nourish the things that are good but not eternal? Rather than pouring all of our energy into the fruit of the things that will last and that when the light is switched on, we'll be proud of. This is the image of the divided disciple who's nourishing multiple allegiances, a garden of desires alongside our love for God's word. And the g- difficulty is that those things, are, they're often not bad in themselves. You'd be quick and easy to justify, well, I mean, I know, you know, this is not great, but uh, it's not a bad thing in itself, but when it competes with our affection for Christ, it is. Many of us, too many, have thorns that are quietly, we are quietly, Im- imperceptibly, cultivating weeds Uh, we're fertilizing them with our attention and our affection and our money and our time thorns called significance and power and lust and security and the way that thorns kill plants is not violently and all at once uh, and painfully it's by simply out-competing them whatever gets the most nourishment wins And Jesus is saying to you, stop giving your time and your emotional energy and your spiritual life to foolish things with no eternal value. You are feeding your pet wolf. And one day, could be tomorrow, could be 30 years from now, it could turn and kill you. If there's something in your life right now that the word of God tells you to put to death, do not delay do not wait Uh, to stand still is to make a decision Uh, be ruthless cut it off yank it out of the soil what are you doing Uh, get it out of there the longer you wait the less resistance you'll be able to muster Uh, now is the moment today is the day yank it out of your life it is never safe to delay doing what the word of god tells you to clearly do uh, choose life, choose abundance. It will hurt. It will be worth it. And that brings us to this final soil, soil number four, the only good option for us. Verse 15 says, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, hold it fast in a g- honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience we spend spent enough time on all these dangers that we face. I hope the Lord has already brought to mind a way that you could faithfully respond to this. But we've got to think about this too. Jesus is not hiding from us how to bear fruit for his kingdom. He's not made it tricky. He's not made it complicated. Doesn't make it easy. But we can bear fruit with patience. Jesus describes those who bear fruit with three descriptors. He says, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, hold it fast, with an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit. And here's something comforting that we all need to hear with patience. Notice uh, this is the only soil where the seed goes into it. That's something interesting. It's sowed along the weeds, among the weeds, uh, you know, on the rock. But this is the only one where it goes into the soil. And that's not all. It says they hold it fast. Are you holding the Word of God fast? You could translate hold it fast as clutch, or seize, or guard. It's an active, assertive posture toward God's word. Do you have a proactive posture to the word of God this morning? When you hear it, do you clutch onto it? Do you not let it go? Do you write it down, do you cherish it? Do you store it up, do you memorize it? Do you hold it fast, not letting it out of your hands? It would be hard to go up to a soldier and snatch their weapon away from them because it's the thing that gives them life. It's the thing that protects them. By the same sense, uh, God's word is no less vital for you today It should be hard to snatch it out of your hands because you're holding it fast. One easy way to do that, write it down. Write things down. (laughs) Uh, uh, Take notes when you study, when you come to church. Write some things down. Hold fast to God's word. Hold fast with a good, honest, and good heart. Here's what this means. Do you receive the word of God without self-deception, without ego inflation, coming to it and assuming every time you hear the word of God, there's actually a way I need to change here? There's some place that I need to grow. I'm gonna be just brutally honest about myself and about what this says. I'm not gonna let it pull any punches. Tell me what's going on, really. Do you approach the word of God intending to obey it? To follow through. Uh, another one of Satan's great weapons in this battle is to convince us that we can become mature in Christ simply by learning facts. That, as if that's the whole measure of Christian maturity. That matters. You can't love what you don't, uh, can't, can't obey what you don't know, uh, but it's, there's more to it. Jesus demands action. As we'll see, Jesus says, my family are those who hear and do what the word says. Hold fast with an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That's a great comfort to us. We bear fruit with patience. Just as gardeners, you know, you don't grow fruit overnight, <laughs> Now, you want to see evidence that fruit is coming, you want to see evidence that things are changing, and every day you do see that, don't you? But so, so often, it's imperceptible, it's one centimeter at a time, uh, that tomato grew by one gram today, you don't even know, you can't even tell, it's the same way people grow, isn't it? Um, maybe if you look back in 20 years, you meet your classmate that you knew when they were eight, and you say, is that you? <laughs> I've, what happened to you? Okay, there are moments like that when you, lo- you say, 20 years ago, I was so different, you need people alongside you who can start to point those things out to you. Because C- you look in the mirror every single day and you don't notice the things that are going on. You don't notice that you are bearing fruit. You don't notice that you're not bearing fruit. You need people alongside you. And that, if I were to give you one challenge, as if I haven't given you a challenge this morning, if I were to give you one challenge, it would be this. Don't leave this room without talking to someone about what you've learned today. Uh, one of the greatest weapons, I've said it, <laughs> before, but one of the greatest weapons that Satan has to keep you from growing is the two-minute walk from your seat right now to your car as you drive home. And his his greatest weapon would be for you to just make that walk without any thought. Just leave. Stay. We put reflection questions up on the screen to give you a natural, non-awkward way to talk to someone and say, What what did you learn today from the Bible, okay? Give each other permission to do that. Um, Bear fruit for his kingdom, to set a trajectory of growth today, in this moment, after the service with your Christian friends and your community group, but crucially, in the next 20 minutes, you can do this this morning. it's a great challenge to us to hear this word carefully, uh, but it's not without reassurance and hope. And, And when I look at the end of this passage, I see just that. In verses 19 through 21, uh, we have this strange little thing. It almost seems like it doesn't fit there, but it really does. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And I want to point out how Jesus, he, he's doing what I just asked you to do. He's connecting his growth with your embeddedness in the family of God. You need these people around you to help you grow. But more than that, what he's pointing out, he's not uh, disrespecting, dishonoring his mother, his family, but he's saying, I have a spiritual family uh, that means even more to me draw near to them. And let that encourage your heart that what Jesus is saying is that following him, being with him is not just a matter of sort of vague, generic growth. Jesus' comment is directed toward those people at the start of this passage. Remember? His brothers, his disciples, they're with him. And these women who ministered out of their own needs, what were they doing? They were mothering him. They were caring for him. And he was saying to them, you are as near to me as family. And he says that to us today, 20 centuries later, to them, to us, to encourage us, to comfort us. Jesus has welcomed you into his own family, into his own heart. Take care how you hear that word too. A disciple is not perfect, just forgiven. Or as we like to say, a whole disciple is a forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, to love Jesus, and live Jesus. So friends, let's take care. Family, let's take care how you hear the word of God today. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do, we bring our ears to you today asking you to make them receptive soil for the seed of your word so that we can grow and bear fruit in our lives, the fruit that you expect and deserve, Lord. We ask you forgive us for the times we have, we've excused our lack of commitment, for the times we've been shallow and uncaring. Lord, there have been times we've let your word bounce right off of us Lord, there, there are ways that we have let other cares and affections uh, grow up next to this, the, the seed that you want to grow in our lives, Lord, and we've nourished them more than we have you your word. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you for forgiving us through Christ. And Lord, some of us, we, we aren't even sure we long to grow right now. Would you at least in this moment help us to, to want to long to grow? Give us desire to grow. Bring to mind, Lord, even in this moment, at least one or two steps that we could take today, concrete, practicable steps, and give us the boldness, Lord, even in these next few minutes, to share them with someone in this room, in the car on the way home, to set a new trajectory to become what you have made us to be. For the glory of Jesus, we pray, amen.